0: Um, our Bible reading for this morning is from Ephesians, chapter one, verse fifteen to verse twenty-three. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who feels all in all
1: but it works just uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, thanks so much again for all that we've enjoyed together this morning. Uh, so far, we thank you that we've heard how you spoke into uh, Abby's life and Yolandi's life and Cliff's life. And now we would ask, as we open your word, that by your spirit you would do that again in our lives for your glory and for our good. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we've heard three people's testimony uh, of how God has been gracious to them and how he's worked in their lives. And it's been great, hasn't it, to hear that every time you hear someone's testimony. It's always uh, encouraging. And uh, as we've done that, I don't know about you, but I always find myself when I hear how God has been kind to someone and worked in this, their lives, I want to I thank God for what he's done for them. I want to kind of praise him for what he's done. And it's, it's, it's been a real blessing for us to witness this this morning, to hear these confessions of faith. And uh, we are praying here at GBC for many more confessions of faith to happen in people's lives and many more baptisms to take place. Um, As we've heard this, it's not unlike the passage that we have in front of us today. As we look at just these few verses from Paul, in one of the prayers he prays in Ephesians, if you notice verse 15 and 16, it kind of has that same kind of ring. For this reason, he says, "...because or since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks." He says, since I've heard about this, your faith and your love, I do not cease to give thanks. Paul's heard their testimonies, if you like, and he's concluded, hasn't he, that God has saved them through Jesus. These kind of characteristics that he's heard about in them is giving him clear evidence that they have come to relationship with God through Jesus. And so he's praising God for bringing that about. What are those two realities that he identifies? Their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their, that is their dependent trust. They've turned from living life their own way and come and put their trust in Jesus, in his death and resurrection on the, on the cross, his death there and his resurrection from the grave to forgive their sins and give them new life. And the second one is their love for all the saints or for all God's people. These Both these things are the supernatural power, saving power of God, evidence in someone's lives. This actually is what marks for Paul the person who has become a Christian, their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all God's people. This is what, for the apostle, when he's miles away, gives him confidence and identifies those he's hearing about that they've truly come to know Jesus, that they've experienced God's salvation through him. How do you know that you're a Christian or not? How do you know that you're born again and not just religious, not just someone who does some religious things every now and again? Well, yeah, if you have a genuine trust and faith in the Lord Jesus for your salvation, and if, our, as a result of that, there's, there's a love that you have for those who he has saved, his people, his saints. Paul's heard about this, and friends, this is why he prays. This is the basis of his prayer. This is why he prays. And so we're going to look really briefly this morning, hopefully, uh, given that we've been going for a while already, uh, at two questions. What does he praise God for, for them, about them? And what does he ask God for? What does he praise God for? And what does he ask God for? So firstly, I'll turn this on as I often need to. What, is he, what does Paul praise God for? Well, we've already said he praises God for their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints, the two things that mark them out as Christians, as genuine followers of Jesus. And we've already alluded to the fact that he attributes this to God. That God has done this, that God has brought this about. And so verse 16, his natural response is not to stop giving thanks. He says, since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's full of praise to God for them, for what God has done in them. In fact, everything that we've seen in Ephesians so far, and we've been in it for about three weeks now, this is the third talk that we've we've done in it, but everything so far, you might not know this, is actually one huge, unbroken, extended praise of God. Uh, Verse 3 to 14 in uh, Ephesians is the longest single sentence in the New Testament, and it is what's known as a doxology. Doxology. What's a doxology say? A doxology is an expression that gives praise or glory to God. Doxa, the first half of the word, actually means glory. So it's glory giving. That's what a doxology is. And the whole of that 14 verses is one long, big doxology. Paul's kind of just bursting out, praising God for who he is and what he's done. You might remember how it starts from a couple of weeks ago. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he blessing for? Well, we haven't got a lot of time, and even if we had lots, we'd probably still need more. We've just spent two Sundays on it, but here's a helicopter reminder of what we were looking at. He blesses... God, because God has blessed them with what he describes as every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not some spiritual blessings, but in Christ, God has poured every spiritual blessing into their lives. He blesses God because, as he says earlier, God has chosen them before the world began. Before they were even born, God set his love upon them. And that in doing so he predestined them to be adopted as his very own children. People who were before that hostile to God and against God and living life their own way now are his and God has adopted them as as his very own dear children. Paul blesses God because he's redeemed them by the blood of Jesus. Set them free from sin's power and hold through the death of Jesus on the cross. He blesses God because he's forgiven their sins, again through the atoning sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross as he took the punishment in our place. He blesses God because he has given them an inheritance of eternal life that cannot be touched and never be taken. And he has actually kind of proved that or secured that by sealing them with his very own Holy Spirit. God is Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and as he saves you, he seals you as his very own, guaranteeing your inheritance. This is what Paul praises God for. This is the reason, if you like, for his theology, his doxology, his extensive and unbroken praise of God, his eulogising. That word blessed is the word from which we get eulogies or eulogising where we honour someone or you know, kind of lift them up. When we give a eulogy about someone, that word, that's what the word blessed is. So Paul is eulogising God for what he's done and how he has been gracious to them. Why is he doing that? Well, because it's a big deal. It's a massive deal what God has done for us. And not only what he's done for us, but as we heard this morning, where that lands us, it actually is a massive deal. And so we want to not cease to give thanks to God because of the massive things that he has done. And as we think about those things... We actually see the glory of God. It shows us what God's like. It shows us what he's like in what He's done, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does Paul praise God for? Well, all of the above, all of it, as he hears of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. I wonder this morning, what do you praise God for? What are your prayers full of? Do you, do you pray at all? I take it if we want to know how to pray, we should take maybe a leaf out of the Apostle Paul's book. His prayers are not only informative in what's they, what they kind of teach us about God, but they're also incredibly instructive, in what they teach us about prayer and how to pray and what to pray. Not only are they full of things which which can blow our minds, if you like, God's glory being revealed, but they're also full of things and realities that grip our hearts, if you like, evoking praise from us. So they inform our mind and they grip our hearts. What do you praise God for? Do you eulogise God do you give him glory? Is there a doxology in you just, just bursting, waiting to come out because of who he is and what he's done? You know, I think anything less than eulogising God or blessing God and kind of giving him that honour is barely a Christian prayer at all. It ought to have at least, not, not that we don't ask God for things because we're going to get to that, but it ought to have this praise component of it, Right? I can still remember the wonder of having our our first child and then the others after that. Uh, the the sense of awe in that moment every time this little one arrived. You know the sense was look what God has done. Yes, we had a part to play in it, but look what God has done. Look at this new life that is brought into being. Uh, this this little life that wasn't there but now is. New life that's been given and that has begun. Friends, every time someone comes to faith in Jesus and as a result loves his people, miraculous new life has been given to them, to you in Christ by his grace. Not because you were good enough, not because you earned it, but because He gave it. Do you praise God for the new life that He's given you in Jesus? And do you praise God for the new life that is given in your brothers and sisters in Christ around you? Do you plead with God that he might give many more new life in Jesus? That many will turn, as we heard this morning in those testimonies, from living life without God and come to faith in Jesus and be adopted by God as one of his children. What does Paul praise God for? Well, there you have it. Secondly, what does Paul ask God for? And this is where where it gets a bit interesting, right? Because, on the one hand, you can think, having listed all those things out, I mean, isn't that enough? Like, should we even ask God for more? Is that like, you know, we're we being a bit greedy kind of thing if we keep asking? But Paul doesn't think so. He's happy to ask for God for more things from God. What does he ask, though? Well, he asks now not so much... What he asks is not so much about what God has done for us in Jesus, but about that landing for us in our lives deeply through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you verse uh, 16 and following. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. Paul asks the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, for what? essentially, that he would reveal to the Christians that he's writing to in Ephesus more of his glory. More. More glory. He asked that God would give that to them through his spirit in, of wisdom and revelation. The uh, NIV says, and it says, in the knowledge of him, the NIV says, that you may know him better by the power of the spirit, the glory of God. Of who he is and what he's done. And again, notice this is on the same basis as everything always is from God on the basis of grace or gift that he may give to you. You don't earn it, it comes freely from God. And clearly, if the Apostle Paul's asking it, he's got some degree of confidence that God's happy to give it. What's clear here, friends, is if you're a follower of Jesus, without the ongoing help of the Holy Spirit, we may not actually grasp what God has done and has given us and worse than that it may not actually grasp us or land for us and so not may friends in our lives that our good father intends so we want to ask we want to ask, and Paul asks for three very specific things. Did you see them there? He, wants, he asks that God would give them the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that having their hearts enlightened, they might know the hope to which he has called them, the glorious inheritance in the saints, and his great power towards us who believe. These are all things that they already have, but may not be fully aware of. Paul prays that God, that they might know the hope to which they've been called. That in Jesus, God has called them to himself. That in Jesus, God has called them out of darkness into his marvellous light. That in Jesus, he has called them out of the kingdom of darkness into his own kingdom and glory. That God has called them to Christ and called them to a holy life, to holiness, that he has called them to freedom from sin and guilt and shame and peace. He's called them to peace, peace with God and peace with others. And that he's even called them to suffering as the world, the kingdom of darkness, reacts and is hostile towards the kingdom of Christ. And when that clash happens followers of Jesus often suffer and God has called us to that but ultimately he's called them to glory to eternal existence in the presence of the glorious God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ Paul prays that this hope that we have might deeply land for us Secondly, he prays that they might know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints or in God's people. And friends, this is mind-blowing, just this one thing, when you realise what's being said. Because when you and I think of inheritance, we often think of what we're going to get, right? What I'm going to inherit at a certain point in my life, maybe, if there's something to inherit. Uh, Or perhaps even when we think of it... In terms of following Jesus, we think of our inheritance that we get as a Christian, which is true and is here even in this chapter. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 14 speaks of the Spirit being the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. But this is different. This says His glorious inheritance in His people, this is God's inheritance. This is speaking about what God inherits. And what does he inherit? The saints. His people. His blood-bought, Holy Spirit-sealed people. And this inheritance is called glorious. Do you realize? You are, if you're a follower of Jesus, part of God's glorious inheritance. How's that even possible? I don't feel that glorious. In fact, if I'm honest about myself, I'm far from it. I'm flawed. How's that possible? Well, a little later in Ephesians, it talks about Jesus dying, loving the church so much that he gave himself for her, that he might wash her and present her one day as a radiant bride, Jesus being the groom and the church being the bride. And it says, spotless and without blemish. So one day God is going to inherit the people he has made perfect and redeemed. And it's going to be glorious, breathtaking, beyond your wildest imagination. A people fully purified and redeemed. Can you imagine that? With no flaws at all. No sins, no struggles, no fears Paul's saying, I want you to know what is God's glorious inheritance in you as his people. This is who you are and this is who you're going to be. And lastly but not least, he prays that we might know his great power towards us who believe. This is about the power of God that's at work in our lives to make us new. And notice what power it is. Paul says it's the same power that God the Father used to raise Jesus From death. And not only that, to exalt him and enthrone him in the heavenlies far above every other authority and power that there is. So, all the demonic spiritual forces you can think of, every spiritual force, every authority, Jesus is now enthroned far above all of those. And God's power took him from the grave to there. And Paul is saying, that same power is at work in you if you are a follower of Jesus. What kind of power is that? What kind of certainty does that give you of where he's going to land you? Is anything going to stop him? Is anything going to kind of get in his way? of bringing you home on the final day? Absolutely not. His great power towards us who believe and anyone who believes. Even if you started believing in Jesus today, that power would be at work in your life immediately. Wow. It all comes to us as we're united to Jesus by faith. The last couple of verses, Paul speaks about Jesus being uh, raised to that place and all things under his feet. And God gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. How does that power come to us? It comes to us as we're united to Jesus spiritually by faith when we turn to him and trust in him. He is the head We are his body. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead now flows through Jesus into our lives. And Paul says he is the fullness. This is about the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is a big deal, friends. This is a big deal for living for Jesus in this life. That we might know, what the hope of our calling is, that we might know that we are God's inheritance and that he's working on us to make us glorious on that final day, that we might know that his resurrection power is bringing us new life every day so that we might live the life he calls us to, not in our own strength but in the same power, strengthened by that power that raises, raised him and transforms us. This is a big deal. It's massive. It's true of every believer. Paul puts it this way in another letter he wrote called Colossians. He says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity, that's godness, dwells bodily. And then he goes on to say, And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. He has this fullness in him, and when you put your trust in him and you're united united to him... We come to fullness too. This power is at work in our lives. Paul wants these things not, to just, not just to be true of them, but that would land for them and make the difference in them that God desires. And the same is true for us. What does, God, Paul, what does Paul ask God for? that what, is, what he has done for them would deeply land in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. The story is told of a lady called Hetty Green. Nice name with all the babies that are due. If you're looking for a girl's name, Hetty is uh, right up there. Um, she's, she was known as America's greatest miser. When she died in 1916, she left an estate... ...of over $100 million. But she ate cold oatmeal all her life... ...because it cost money to heat it. She even hastened her own death... ...by bringing on an attack... I can't even really say this word... ...the nurses will tell me afterwards... Uh, ...bringing on an attack of apoplexy... ...I think I got it actually while arguing about the value of drinking skimmed milk. She had limitless wealth, but in reality she lived like a pauper. Eccentric? Probably. Crazy? Perhaps, but no one could prove it, though many tried, because they'd like her estate. If they could get her declared not sound mind, then maybe they had a chance of getting it. Incredibly Rich but failing to benefit from her riches. Clearly the Apostle Paul does not want that to happen for us as followers of Jesus. With the riches that we have in him and through him, to not benefit from them in our daily lives would be tragic, don't you think? It would be tragic. But sadly, I think is too often the case. Which is why we need to pray prayers like this. That help us know what to praise God for. And what to ask God for. Do you know what you have in and through Jesus, by God's grace, already if you're a christian sitting here this morning do you know and regardless of what you say to that even if you say yes based on this prayer i want to say you need to know it better and god wants you to know it more and if, you, if this is all a bit foreign to you this morning, you know, you've been dragged along with family or whatever, you can start to know this by coming and finding out more about Jesus and what he's done for you. You can begin this journey of discovery of who God is and what he's done and the unspeakable riches of it all. But if you know him already, let me ask you, Does it shape your praise of God? Does it deepen your love for him? Does it give you power over temptation when temptation comes? Because you know you lack nothing. And so the old lie that says, oh, you know, you need this to be, you know, you're missing out, you need this as well just doesn't work anymore. Do you know this enough when the anxieties rise? When the fears come? When the doubts happen? Do you know this enough so the treasures of this world remain as good gifts from God and not controlling powers in your life? Do you pray this kind of prayer for regularly for yourself and for others? And if this is your church home this morning or whatever church you're a part of, do you pray this kind of prayer for your church? What does Paul praise God for? And what does Paul ask God for? And what do we? Let's pray. Father, we would be uh, amiss if we come now and don't follow this pattern of prayer that we've been given by you in your word through your servant, the Apostle Paul. And so, uh, yeah, Lord, we would just begin by saying as we've heard uh, the testimony of people's faith in you, Lord Jesus, and their love for your people, this morning and in other places and even as we perhaps recognize some of those things in ourselves we want to give you thanks and praise for that recognizing that that is a work of your divine and powerful grace that we didn't deserve that we hadn't earned but that you've given through your son and his death on the cross and his powerful resurrection and the gift of his spirit father we thank you you're a good father you adopt us as your children lord you forgive our sins and you redeem us and set us free from them how good are you father we would ask that we might know these things in a, in a deeper way lord that they might not get pushed to the side of our minds and our hearts and other things take over, but that you, by your spirit, spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you would keep them at the centre of who we are, at the centre of our hearts and minds and lives, so that they might have the shaping power that you desire. That's both brings you glory and is incredibly good for us. Father, we give you praise today. Thank you for all that we've enjoyed Thank you that we can now sing in response. Uh, help us to eulogise you, to bless you as we sing and as we conclude. And Lord, you know every heart here in, in this room this morning, you know exactly where we're at, at what stage of the journey we're on. Would you take us whatever the next step is in your kindness? Would you show us your goodness and, and uh, yeah, lead us on? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.